family it's it's definitely a highlight so i'm happy to be here and it's a beautiful day so yeah it's pretty cold but um you know it's november so that makes sense yeah i'm surprised it's not colder actually i uh, i am happy that it's not i hate <laughs> the cold but today's actually my 30th yeah. birthday so uh, oh congratulations and happy birthday thank you thank you that's awesome i thank you i frankly though i could not imagine myself anywhere else but here when kirk told me that you would be back for the second i was just like I'm, I'm going to be here. Oh, it awesome. doesn't matter what. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about you. We're going to, I have a regular format that I do with um, all my guests, but I want to talk to you about something that's a little more recent. Kirk and I were speaking about it. You are working on a set of buildings that will eventually become an artist retreat. Is that true? Yes. Um, I purchased a couple of buildings this year in the Waverly area, and my first idea when I first got it is kind of more of a space to come when I'm here in town <clears throat> although I'm from Baltimore I, I kind of wanted to have a, my own space but then I realized right after having the space how much of a, um, a joy it would be to have other creatives come from out of town and you know and also invite local um, creatives to the space to, you know to stay for short periods of time to kind of intermingle network um just you know just kind of laid back and you know sometimes produce work but the idea that uh was for it to be more open not just to visual artists but also to writers and culinary people and tech people just pretty laid back nothing um super competitive just more about bringing people into baltimore to have an experience that's not a commercial experience of being you know since i'm from baltimore i know where to go in baltimore that's not necessarily touristy places to go it sounds like that that retreat is going to be more like a uh, like an incubator space would you say that yeah initially the outline would be more of a space of like sharing ideas just kind of staying in the same space brainstorming and just being in a relaxed state i think a lot of creative people don't really have the privilege of being um relaxed um, or being in a space where you aren't really required to make anything or do anything but relax, and I think that's even harder for some creative people to do is to relax, and uh, or just people in general. But I think a lot of creative people is a blurred line between like being productive creatively and just not doing anything at all. And I'm a firm believer that it's sometimes where, because I'm a, I'm a workaholic, like I love to work, I work like every day, and people always tell me to relax, and I really can't relax because I just like working. But I find times when I am relaxed, it's usually a place where it's. Um, a welcoming place for me just to kind of think about my next move and sometimes you need that time to like step away so when I do get the chance to relax I do take advantage of it so you're a multidisciplinary artist your medium kind of runs the gamut but is there a specific type of media that has influenced you and kind of motivated you to start creating well I think instinctually for most artists including myself I would say drawing it's one of the most immediate ways of communicating as a visual artist. And for me, drawing definitely 
came first and it's something that's really more um, spontaneous and so I would say definitely drawing I think a lot of works that I had even photographic works or sculptural works or video kind of comes from first kind of drafting something on paper which is usually like a drawing or something like that so yes definitely drawing comes first the other things kind of come after it in a live interview you characterize yourself not as an artist or like a creator but as a facilitator and the dictionary definition of a facilitator is like somebody who basically helps make something happen. Whenever you're creating your media and your art, do you ever keep in the back of your mind like, I hope people get it? Or do you just create what you create and the people will interpret it as they see fit? When I'm making work, I always think about black aesthetics or for me, it's more about aesthetics in general because you know, I am black, so I would naturally think about myself or my community that I'm attached to. So I think about aesthetics, and I think about urban culture, and I think about how to extract certain elements that I think are highly complex and interesting um, in a way that can bring more attention to certain systems that we create through our daily actions, you know, things that we do cognitively or just uh, routinely, things that I think are very important. As an artist now looking at those things, when I was a kid or just a person not really thinking about intellectualism, I was really thinking about just living and doing those things. But now as a, you know, as a artist, as a professor, as an educator, I think about things that are somewhat normal to us and very um, routine to us as being very complicated and interesting and historic and relevant and, you know, I'm part of something bigger. So I always think about my work in that way of kind of like highlighting aspects of our, of our culture that f even to us may seem mundane or regular, but I don't think they are. I think that they have ties to things that are way more complex and beyond us as just as individuals and more about a system of cultural development and influence. And so I like to think about that when I'm making work. So would you say that your work facilitates the process of the viewer learning more and seeing through a lens of blackness or facilitates <coughs> the process of trying to understand the black experience? That's definitely part of it. I think it's really more about creating things that are not really about comparing or oppressive structures or colonialism. It's really more about perseverance and, um, and inc inclusion and um, triumphantness and those things that I think we spend less time focusing on as a, as a people because of all the oppressive stru structures that we are Definitely, um, definitely combating and also reminded of and, uh, and everything. You know, we're reminded of oppressive structures in school and pre oppressive structures, you know, within our daily life. And, you know, there's less of a conversation about like triumphantness or perseverance or things, success stories. You know, those things to me are more interesting because to me they aren't as present in our education system in our daily lives and conversations as, as people when we're talking, we usually talk about what has happened to us versus what we have put in place 
through all of those things that are also relevant that happen to us, but those things that happen to us are more on the radar than things that we've been able to accomplish during those times. And when I think about like oppressive structures at certain times in history, I also look for references to things that we have accomplished during those same times. That's really of interest to me. When I think about massacres or things that's happened to us as a people, also look at people of that time who were able to prosper and do things in the face of those things happening. Because those both of those things are equally relevant. The fact that someone is able to accomplish all these things uh, simultaneously while maybe a couple of hours away, other people are going through something else or down the street. You know, those things are both equally significant and also they should be presented in conversation of knowledge in the same. Like when you talk about t things that happen in certain historical places and times, I think it's good for educators to really think about everything that happened for black people at that time. So you're more interested in looking at, I guess, the duality of blackness, like how we can simultaneously be oppressed and have so much uh, stacked against us, but at the same time, like, still we rise, still yeah. we prosper. I mean, it is. I mean, it's important. I think that's the most important thing for young people to know is that, okay, these things were happening then, but there were a whole other group of black people who actually owned things, who, you know, had degrees, who were, or, or not even that, people who had property, people who who are into art, people were into, you know, poetry, writing, like, there's so much that we, you know, even now as a, you know, grown up, I'm learning about my own culture, and it's not even something that is um, promoted, it's just something you just have, it's like a desire to want to know more, because you know you come from more, so it's like, if you know you come from more, you're going to seek more, it's good to be attached to something greater than you, and to be a part of that. My interest in knowledge and those things are just for me to, again, be a facilitator through my work, but also to be to lead people to other conversations about people before us who've done greater things and who've done, you know, who put things in place that we're now benefiting from. When I think about my work, I think about how I can contribute to a conversation of empowerment than anything else. Mm -hmm. Would you consider yourself an optimist? I wouldn't say optimist. If anything, as a black person, I think it's kind of not sad, but it's a little disheartening that if we start to talk about our contributions and our successes, we become like more positive and that that's not a norm. When people look at my work and say like, that work is really positive. To me, I think that's like something really interesting to really reflect on as a culture is that when you think about black narrative, when you talk about things that are uh, opposite of oppressive structures, you become like a positive artist. I would say anything, I'm more of an autonomous, if you can say that. My interest in being contrary has led me to be more, to look more in, into the alternative conversations that exist um, within our culture. I'm learning stuff about Baltimore that I didn't, um, that I'm not, that I know before growing up or going to school in Baltimore about histories of successful um, blacks here in the city who've done great things. They aren't told to us in school and, you know, and those things are just the reality we live in because we know more about oppressive structures and we learn more about that than we learn about like who founded certain neighborhoods in Baltimore, like Ho Heights, which is named after a black man. Oh, really? Yes. Um, he owned most of the land there that it was, you know, 
it was his 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 place, Ho Heights, and now it's a primarily white neighborhood. And where but where is Ho Heights specifically? 39th Street, 40th, 41st. It's around that area. Um, and there's a lot of neighborhoods like that here that, um, that kind of found it significant historically that, you know, we aren't, we don't know about like Pennsylvania Avenue. Like a lot of people think about Pennsylvania Avenue as the hood, but a lot of people don't think about Pennsylvania Avenue as like a mecca um, relating to like Harlem Renaissance for black people. And we aren't taught that in school. So like those things are not necessarily posit positive things or optimist things. It's really more about just factual information that will empower the generations to look at these neighborhoods in a very different way if they knew who walked down the streets. I knew about it because my parents are from that area, so I knew about the theaters and all those things that existed, and, you know, the celebrities who came there and people they saw walking down the street as kids. So I, I was able to get that information, but the generation after me, they look at that neighborhood as being like, the poor neighborhood or the, you know, the risky neighborhood of Baltimore, Pennsylvania Avenue. But for me, because my family's from there and they have uh, historical knowledge of the city, of that area, I have a totally different appreciation for that neighborhood just mm -hmm. based on knowledge, mm -hmm. you know, history. And I think that's the key to, like, the strength of the future and the young people here knowing things about neighborhoods in a way that's not always about um, the houses being boarded up or the crime being there, but like what was there, you know, what was there before. You mentioned it in the, uh, in the answer to the previous question about you being an optimist. So your family is from West Baltimore, uh, so you grew up in this area, <coughs> and you talked about it a little bit um, during the, uh, the opening for your exhibition. Yeah. We're sitting here at City Hall. You were into art at an early age, and your teacher entered you into an art contest that you won, yeah. and your picture hung, I believe, in the mayor's office or in City yeah, Hall? Yeah, it was mayor's, mayor's office here at City Hall um, when I was around 10, 9 yeah. or 10, yeah. So then now, you know, decades later, you have an exhibition here that's showing through the end of uh, November. That's definitely, that's like the definition of a full circle moment. Have you ever had any of those other moments in your career that kind of reaffirm your choice to become an artist, to become a facilitator? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely um, an amazing experience and is an amazing experience now to have my work hung in the same space where I had my work hung as a smaller kid um, in the city that I grew up in. And, and when I was, you know, when this particular body of work um, starts to develop, I never thought about it being in the exhibition or showing it because I was still in the process of being in the space making it. But when I was asked to show it here, I, I thought personally my family would, first as a museum, my family, because they're from Baltimore and, and most of the people who are here are working class, either, you know, office or, you know, whatever public servants that um, people here are, they, I think they understand municipal buildings more so than a museum space. So when I thought having a show here, I automatically thought that my family would be like, think that it was a, a bigger deal. Even if I thought it was, as an artist and being um, trained as an artist, a museum would be the, the epitome of success for us to be in a museum, to have your body of work in a museum, which I have, and I can will continue to do so, but I thought this particular body of work would be great in a public space that people can see it and I've had moments where 
I didn't foresee those things happening, but when opportunities presented presented themselves to me, I really thought about, you know, when I did a show with Studio Museum in Harlem, I did the um, exhibition inside of the library because I um, was doing archive research on Patrick Kelly, a designer, African-American designer, and um, part of the, the, the concept was I was gonna use the archive as part of the exhibition, and so we decided to put the exhibition in the library so people can see the relationship to the artist, the, the designer, myself as an artist, and the things I was looking at um, as I was developing the body of work. So that was also a great moment because it was a non-traditional um, space to have a, a solo exhibition, but also it's a, the public library that people were able to come in and out of all the time without uh, any admission price or whatever, and it was in their space, you know, and I thought of that as being also one of the uh, major successes as, as an artist in my career. In talking about success and feeling like you've made it, you're an internationally, internationally renowned artist. You've been all around the world, all around the country. So you've definitely been in these conversations or been around people <coughs> having conversations about, you know, what art is and talking about art with a capital A. As somebody who's been in those circles and can w talk the talk because you're walking the walk, do you feel like anything has changed about those conversations or has the only thing that's changed is the people having those conversations? From my observation, it seems that yes, art has become more of a um, a significant platform um, as it's been viewed beyond the art world, you know, the, the typical art community. A lot of the older artists <coughs> who we now are celebrating, for the most part, I, I had the privilege um, growing up in the arts to know a lot of the artists that most people know now as being, you know, significant artists. I had the privilege to know they were significant at times where people did not know who they are. I think because of social media, the presence of black art is a little bit more profound and more highlighted because the black community also shares images of certain things. So it's like different levels of like appreciation has happened within the black community and the community overall because of social media and people being able to share images of things they like and to share images of what they think are, is significant in some ways. And dealing with the market of art, I think that like any other creative platform that as black people we've been able to successfully dominate or at least situate ourselves in historically, art has now become, for the younger generation, which is great, a, um, a resource of income, of um, prominence, things that um, for the most part we weren't taught as to be as a career and we weren't taught to appreciate it in the same way that it's being appreciated now. So I think that our interests overall as a culture has, you know, beyond the creative people, a creative community, which I think has always supported the arts, is kind of spilling over into the people, the black people who are patrons or people who are interested in art. So I think for us as a community, as a collective, we've definitely 
have reached a certain level of create of creative appreciation uh, or create pre, uh, appreciating create creativeness and output. But I think that because we've appreciated it, I think other people are starting to see outside of our culture <clears throat> are starting to see and pay attention to what we're interested in, just like music, what we're into right now. You know, art is becoming like sports now, you know, and musicians are, and, and actors are, are buying art. Black actors and musicians and business people, lawyers are starting to really, younger people in their 40s and 30s are buying art now. That to me is a big success because that's a new thing. Earlier in the interview, and you've been mentioning it as we've been talking, you talk about perseverance, you talk about success. You were also quoted in an interview saying that you never thought that you couldn't do art. You just never crossed your mind. But with that, what was the lowest point in your career and how did you stay motivated to, to keep pushing and keep persevering? Um, yeah, I, I never thought art was not an option because my influences in art other artists have been artists that have been making work probably since they were 20 something and they were probably 60 and some people didn't know who they were and they were not necessarily living very well off their work but I always thought those people were like so important to me because if you can continue to make something when no one's paying attention and continue to do that for a long period of time and make strong things then to me that's what making art is about and that's what being an artist is about like it's not about attention or you know selling out in your show or even um, living off your art to me art is really about the practice of making the practice of discovering the practice of kind of learning the material and learning yourself as a person through your creative process so I never thought that art wouldn't be part of my life because I thought art was part of who I was as a person. So I never thought um, or even planned to um, think about myself as like a professional artist living off of my work. Like it was, living off my work was definitely a plus and an incentive to, to, you know, become more professional and think about myself as a professional artist. But I had the privilege of being around artists who I thought were amazing. And I also realized that they were not getting the credit they deserved. Even though some of them were upset about the situation they were in, as a young person observing them, I felt that this may be my life. And I wasn't going to be upset about it because when I looked at them, I saw a mastery. So I thought like, okay, then maybe I'll just teach or do something that's art related while I'm making my art. I never thought that I wouldn't be doing something else besides making art. Like I never thought that would just be my only thing every day doing. I always thought that teaching was just part of like what artists did or creative people did to subsidize their freedom to make what they want to make. And then what about that lowest point, or do you feel like you've never had one? I never had a lowest point because I never thought that you would get a reward for making art. So you just never had the expectation, and then in like a weird kind of way, that allowed you to become as successful as you are? Is that what you'd say? No, I was just making work, and I was just thinking about being able to pay my studio rent and my house rent, and and that I'll be able just to be in my studio making stuff. Like, I never thought that it was a high point or a low point. Yeah, there's times I didn't have as much money as I have now, 
There's times when I didn't have certain things. Like, it's times where I, like, took my change to TD Bank and, like, paid for food. But I also thought, I would always laugh and say to myself, when I did something like that, I was like, oh, this is going to be part of my biography. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought, like, anything, you know, just from growing up in these spaces with these artists and being around so many types of people, I always thought that everything I did, even if I was slumming, it was like part of part of it. It was like a romantic idea. Like I thought about art as ro as romantic. I didn't think of that. It was um, all the artists I thought were important were artists who experienced worse things than I experienced. So when I um, thought about myself at a rough time, I thought this wasn't going to be a continued rough patch. I didn't think that it was going to be, you know. I just think as black people, we have like a lot of creativity and a lot of ways of like the fact that we even are here in society now through all the things that we've been through to me is reassurance enough to know that I can survive because I'm part of a survival culture. So I, I know I can do a lot of things. I know I can wait tables. I know I can clean floors. I know I can do a lot of stuff. So I never thought I couldn't. Only thing I'm scared of is like not being able to use my body functions. Like other than that, I knew I could, if I can mop the floor, I can use that money to buy art buy supplies to make art. I always thought that I could do things that would allow me to be able to keep making art. So I never thought making art was about like celebrity or anything like that. I thought art was just about more of a therapy or a life, you know, life lesson. Like just keep doing it. Like just keep doing it. Keep learning things, you know. But you know, when you get acknowledgement and you start getting collectors and museum things and all that, it's definitely reassuring, but it's not it's never it was never a um like a there's like a like on my list of things it never was i just always thought that i was gonna make work and if i'll show it anywhere like i'll show it in a restaurant if i had to or i'll show it in a street on the street or rent a place for the weekend have a show like i, I thought like more like that so whether you i guess <laughs> wanted to or not your <laughs> art has propelled you to that level of celebrity national international yeah. your art's been featured in tv shows like insecure uh in tv shows like empire how does how does that feel for you and more importantly do they have to pay a fee to use your art it all depends it all depends on how the work is presented and how is it in written into the storyline how does it showcase sometimes they do pay you a commission for it i was commissioned by um fox and um Empire to to make a painting that they were going to use for the billboards for the show for the fifth season. Like I didn't even know they were going to put it on as a story as in the story. Mm -hmm. I was just commissioned to make the painting for the billboards and things like that. It's definitely good publicity. Shows like that and opportunities like that to me I think are great because it kind of brings um, the importance to, of art to the black community because that's really the viewership for a lot of the shows like Insecure and Empire, although they have a broad range of viewers, but the primary viewer are usually the millennial black individuals. And so I automatically say yes to those things because I know it's really more sending the signal about appreciating art and about the ability to make art and to put it in a mainstream place. Throughout your career, you've constantly been creating um, I wouldn't say reinventing yourself, but just kind of, as you said, creating, using that art as therapy. A lot of people, once they get up there in their career and they've made a name for themselves, 
I mean, I, I, maybe you are still able to walk down the street without people pointing you out, but I feel like the longer you keep doing this, the <laughs> yeah. less that's going to be likely. It still happens. It happens now. You know, it happens a lot. It's really more of a surprise when you're with someone who is just your friend hanging out who may not be an artist and someone comes to you in the middle of you, like if you're talking, to, like when I was coming here from New York Penn Station and someone came over to us, when my, me and my friend who came with me, uh, and say, you know, are you Derek Adams? And I think your friends look at you like, like you know, a little bit like, oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. As an artist, you you think of more about, oh, this person really appreciates what I'm doing. So mm -hmm. that's like, to me, that's uh, becomes a plus. What I'm making is affecting people in a in a uh, enlightening enlightening way. And yeah. I'm like, okay, that's that's cool. Right. Yeah. As you continue on in your career, do you ever see yourself? stepping back away from the paint brushes and the paints and instead of being a facilitator through your art being a facilitator through like management or a curation or do you feel like the best way to show the next generation of artists is to continue creating and show them hey you can look like me you can paint stuff that looks like you and yeah. you can wear Balenciagas I curate shows sometimes mostly you know I curate it a, sh the two sh a show that ended recently at UB Blake, um, a, a two-person show with um, Kyle Yearwood video, and then Lawrence Burney, who happens to be my nephew, who been working on True Laurels and archiving a lot of footage on Baltimore, which I thought was very important to put those two artists in the same space, um, because one is a collaboration with other photographers and other um, found video footage with Lawrence and True Laurels and Kyle, who's a you know amazing video artist, um, had a room of just his his videos that I first encountered online on Instagram, and but I thought it would be great to have like a big major um, presentation of all of these things together. So I'm constantly working with um, artists and doing curatorial projects when I have time to do them, and I also teach at Brooklyn College. I'm a professor there. And I've taught at Micah here in Baltimore a few years back. And um, so I'm always in, interested in having a dialogue outside of just my studio practice with other younger creative people. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, you know, I make sculpture, I make paintings, I make video. I'm constantly doing things that I, I feel are challenging for me um, creatively. I'm doing like a... Um, I'm commissioned by this organization right now called RX Arts in New York. They um, commission artists to make wallpaper in children's hospitals. And so I'm commis I was commissioned to make wallpaper for six or seven rooms in Harlem Hospital in the kids' ward. And I've never done that. I mean, I've done wallpaper works, but I've never done it in a particular knowing the client, knowing mm -hmm. the, you know. So thinking about what's going to go on the walls in this space permanently it also, you know, those types of things I think are, again, like milestones and things that I think are um, really significant as an artist, like to to know that you're going to impact someone with what you're doing. Like, that's the goal. We're going to start wrapping up here. Um, two questions that I always ask people whenever we finish the interviews. What's coming up next for you? The thing I was saying about the Harlem Hospital is coming up. Um, also, I have a show that is also a commission exhibition at the Peabody Essex Museum that is based on 
a series of Jacob Lawrence by Jacob Lawrence called the Struggle Series that he created. And so they're commissioning art, a group of artists, contemporary artists, to kind of have work responding to that that series of work. And, you know, a lot of similar things like that, like I'm doing, you know, a show that I'm really excited about at Hudson River Museum in Yonkers, which are my floater paintings th that are depicting um, black Americans or black bodies in general on, um, you know, on pool floats. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, and it became part of my work based on this idea of like just relaxation and joy and things that are more about reflection, reflective times. And so that work is going to be for the first time shown in the museum context, collected together over the years. So I'm excited about that, and that's going to open in March. Where can people go to see your art to find out more about you? Um, or if they just want to get in touch and learn more? Um, well, I'll take messages through my, my uh, website. You can contact me. I'll get emailed through that all the time. Um, I don't really have, I mean, through the galleries I work with and the shows I have coming up, I'm sure there'll be um, announcements and things like that. I post stuff on Instagram a lot when I'm having um, events that are open to the public. So I think I would say definitely check in with like Instagram if you have Instagram to see like what I have coming up because I usually post it. And you can always email my website and leave your name as like add to the mailing list. What's your Instagram handle? It's Derek Adams NY. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, once again, Derek Adams, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? No, I think we've covered a lot. Thank, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I really enjoy um, the conversation we've had. Um, I look forward to having more um, off the mic. <laughs> and um, and I'm hoping you can come by and see the space at some point. Oh, the off in Waverly? In Waverly, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would yeah. definitely love to. Yeah, awesome. and happy birthday. <laughs> thank happy you. Birthday. Thank you so yeah. much. All right. Um, Derek Adams, thank you. Thank you so much.